Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by the Running Report. I'm Joshua Potts, and this week we have a really good podcast for you guys. This podcast is going to be a little bit different than what we've been doing in the past. I feel like we're really going to dive deep into this podcast, and this is personally, this is something that I really want to talk about this week. I'm sorry we didn't have the podcast on Two Black Tuesday like we usually do, but don't chill out chill out we always come to you every single week we're trying to hit that 52 weeks straight a year straight of our first season on the two black runners podcast and i'm always doing that every single week with a brother from the same mother aaron Potts, bro super hot Potts, aaron how's everything going bro how's everything going bro it's good you know busy busy trying to make these moves and you know like you're saying we're trying to get these 52 weeks in so that's work. You know, we're making moves on website and we got we got big things planned, but I'm excited today for what we're about to talk about, who we're going to talk with. Joshua actually called me this morning and was like, yo, we need to hit on this topic. And I feel like whenever, uh, you know, God gives us these feelings that we need to speak on something, that's how I know it's going to be a fire mm-hmm. podcast. So everybody just sit back. It's going to be a great one. But Joshua, do your thing. I have to just say before we get into this, when opportunity knocks on the door, uh, don't just open it, but knock that thing down. So that's what we did today. And opportunity was knocking on the door. Had to hit her up. Had to get her on the podcast. And that's Rebecca Mera. She's a Stanford grad, a U.S. champs qualifier, NCAA All-American, Osley track and field athlete. This past weekend, she just won the Sunset Tour Woman 1500 meter. And I'm saying she she ran pretty good, too. She ran them down, Aaron. She ran them down. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me on. This is awesome. I'm glad that the the timing worked out so well. <laughs> yeah, honestly, this was definitely like a perfect time. But before we get to uh, more of the, the meat and potatoes of this podcast, let's just talk about real quick just how your season went. We know your season just ended just for people to get a better idea of who exactly who exactly is Rebecca Mara. Like, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how did this uh, 2020 unorthodox season go for you great yeah so my name's rebecca nice to meet you all (laughs) i um, i am on little wing athletics which is a women's professional group based in bend oregon and sponsored by wazelle um in terms of the season this year it it was a weird one i mean in march my team went to training camp we were anticipating racing at the olympic trials um, and then, you know, suddenly as, as COVID hit, all of the meat started falling off the calendar. And we thought to ourselves, like, you know, what is this season really going to look like? And we kind mm-hmm. of back to bend and reset, really expecting there wasn't going to be, you know, any races at all. Um, and then I got a call beginning, end of June, beginning of July, that uh, Portland Track was going to be putting on some, some meets. Um, and I got really excited and they did such a good job. I went to three um, big friendly races uh, that Portland Track put on. And they did such a good job with the um, security and with like making you feel safe going to the competition. Mm-hmm. As well as like, I mean, you forget that the Pacific Northwest area has some of the best track and field athletes in the world. Uh, so the meets were, were really great. And then had the opportunity. I drove down. I'm originally from the LA area. So I drove down to race some of the Sunset Tour races, which were awesome. I ended up running a PB um, in the 800. Earlier in the season, I ran a PB in the K um, and came really close in the 1500, but was really fun to end on a good note and, and get the win. So yeah, really excited. Oh. It's awesome to see how, you know, the track and field world had to kind of adapt to, to COVID mm-hmm. during all these hard times and you um, being that you're in Oregon, one of the basically capitals of track and field, you, you got those opportunities to go out and race and everything and do your thing. But how did, how did you adapt mentally and how are you feeling when um, all the, all of this stuff first hit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I can speak for a lot of us when I say it was confusing. Um, it was frustrating. And also it was just a huge letdown. You know, like I spent all mm-hmm. year excited about and thinking about the Olympic trials. And right when we're starting to get into like event specific uh, workouts again, and like there are races really close and coming up on the calendar, everything just kind of imploded. Um, and obviously, you know, in a time like this, 
track and field has to take a back seat. Um, but at the same time, it was something I'd, I'd worked so hard for. So it was definitely a bummer to be, to be missing out. Um, but you know, the motivation kind of waned a little bit. And then, you know, I got excited about some time trials and thinking I put in all this work this year, I want to at least see what I can do. Um, and so then, yeah, when the opportunity for races came up, even though like, yeah, it was no perfect schedule. Um, I was super thrilled to be able to jump in and, and to go for it again. And what I'm really kind of curious about, you're able to PR an 800 and you said you got really close to your 15 PR and like a really tough and just it had to be a mentally like draining year with COVID, even the civil unrest kind of in the US right now. Just how are you like what what that you've learned from this year during COVID are you going to continue into your next season going into 2021? Because you were still able to PR in the season. You had a successful mm -hmm. season per se. So like, what are you going to keep on doing from this year that you weren't doing before that's going to help you like getting better and better? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I noticed this across the board. There were quite a few athletes actually who ran like huge personal bests and had great seasons, albeit like, you know, two to four races max, but they ran really well. And it's funny, actually, my Wazel teammate, Val Allman, who recently threw the American record in the discus, she like mm -hmm. wasn't in the gym for several months and then wow. back and through the American record. And so I really think, yeah, there's something to be said. I think a lot of people have been sleeping more, um, probably doing like less stressful things. I don't know, people are stuck yeah. at home, so there's more time for rest. Um, we haven't been able to do like as heavy of lifts. We have this little home gym we've been using and that's kind of it. Um, but I also think there's something to be said about taking the pressure off. Like once you take the pressure off and like no one really cares and no one's looking and the times don't count for anything, it's really interesting to see how people step up and perform. Um, and so I think that's been, for me, really huge to take the pressure off. In fact, like I even started a new really big job <laughs> in the end of May, thinking like there's not really gonna be a track season and I've been working like for sure over 20 hours a week, probably closer to 40 most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I really care about the job and I'm a campaign manager for a local candidate running for office. Um, and I think that, yeah, for me, that's like even more so <laughs> helped take my mind off running. and. Um, yeah yeah just yeah make the races kind of icing on the cake rather than the cake itself yeah it's awesome when you can like use that passion and that sports mentality that you you take in your whole life into track and field and to what you're what you do for a living and um recently we saw i saw you you came out you wrote an article about some of the civil unrest and like some of the big changes that we're kind of seeing in, in the world right now and at sunset tours uh luckily shout out to jesse williams we were able to be shout on the room and interview some of the athletes but mm -hmm. you decided you decided to wear a blm little mm -hmm. like sticker on your on your shirt what what had did anything have influence on that like the nba you know we just saw them uh sit out that game because of uh the jacob blake and all the action mm -hmm. they're taking with that being that you're kind of in this politics world, this running world, and you're just a person. Um, how did that all influence that action? And what, what made you come to that decision? Yeah, I mean, it's been a difficult summer. I think it's been a summer of realization. It's been a summer of like, folks standing up for their rights. <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. I think that I'm sad I didn't think of the idea to put it on my uniform earlier. Um, yeah. And I was actually I was I was inspired by a lot of what's going on in the WNBA, the NBA, actually cross sports, Naomi Osaka, um, who's a Japanese American mm. tennis player who also yeah. like, you know, they ended up stopping the tournament and she was kind of a catalyst for that. Um, but, you know, I just thought like we could be in general, I think we can be standing up more in the track and field community. And I've been surrounded by and listening to voices um, who like have been standing up. Um, but I saw an athlete who was racing the same day as me. Um, from NJNY, Danny Aragon, who was wearing a similar BLM sticker. And I thought, okay. I don't know why I haven't done this before. <laughs> I'm definitely going to put one on my uniform. And actually, I brought tape um, and a Sharpie in case anyone else wanted to do it too. But we got too close to race time and didn't happen. But I'm really glad I did. And I wish I had more races to, to be able to get the message out there because I think it's important. I think it's important for our track and field community to be, you know, like not sticking their heads in the sand, <laughs> paying attention to what's going on in our world and standing up for what's what's good. And like me and Joshua at the running report too, like 
we're it's also for us it's like something that is just just a part of who who we are with a lot of it being um about about race as well but something that me and joshua noticed early on as we started the running report was how in other other uh sports outlets like bleacher report or espn they would at least like show their athletes um speaking on these issues they would show like you would see lebron james talking about it like you just said namasaki the tennis player you see her talking about it but always felt like when we looked at those other other media outlets i don't have to name them all i think we all know um Mm -hmm. i don't really see i didn't really especially in the beginning i didn't really see them as much you know showing how their athletes felt and Mm -hmm. i felt like that was that was our our responsibility not just as black people but just as a regular media outlet to share mm-hmm. how how the athletes are feeling feeling about these things good or bad if you guys have if you guys really watch the two black runners we show good or bad you know we 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 let it all out there um but was there any hesitation uh to put this on like did you tell anyone about it before or did you think about anything people would say um not really, actually. So I, I told my family because I'm staying with them. And actually, it was mm-hmm. I have terrible handwriting. So it was my sister who I got to put the tape on and actually write it on there for me and make sure it was going to stay. Um, yeah. And it was actually, I hadn't seen Danny Aragon's post. It was, um, so Sarah Lesko is kind of the corporate dev head of Wazelle. And she sent me the post and said, we'd support you if you put this on your uniform. And then I texted the CEO of the company and I was like, hey, because, you know, you really got to get permission before you kind of put stuff on your uniform if you're the company. And they immediately were super thrilled about it. And actually, the CEO, she tweeted a photo of my uniform as a sneak peek before I even even raced in it. Um, And so I think for me, like, it's been really great to be sponsored by and with a company that like is so great about like being outspoken. They were like very politically outspoken like years ago, <laughs> but they just speak uh, out of the right. And, and I appreciate that. And I felt the support, felt the support for my family. Um, and I just thought like, I, I wish everyone would do this. <laughs> I kind of wish we could make like BLM patches that, that all athletes could opt to wear. It made me think of a few years ago, um, I raced at us championships in the 1500. And it was um, when Gabe Grunwald was like mm-hmm. not very well. And we all wore Brave Like Gabe stickers. And I thought like we could do a really similar thing in the track and field community, like going forward, which I think would be really meaningful. Yeah, most most definitely, most definitely. I feel like that could be something that could be incorporated or even just that one meet like in the future to incorporate something like that to where all the athletes are wearing something similar to that. But then I wanted to really ask you, did you feel like when you – I feel like it, I bet for you, it didn't really matter if you won or lost the race, but did you feel like winning the race held like a bigger impact to it? Was it, did it, did it make it a little bit extra special? I think so. I think it also brought more attention to the fact that I was wearing a BLM sticker, which I think is, mm-hmm. is really great. And I'm excited that I was able to use my performance to promote like something that I care deeply about. Um, and like, yeah, I'm really glad that it worked out that way. There was actually a moment, this is going to sound cheesy, in which I like, I don't know, like kind of felt the sticker as I was getting nervous. And I kind of calmed down. I was like, you know what? This race is like, I'm, I'm wearing this thing that represents so much more than me um, and like represents, you know, like my friends and like Black Americans who are just feeling frustrated and like not listened to. And for all the folks like Jacob Blake and Breonna Taylor um, and like, gosh, so many names, um, yes. whose lives have been taken before they were meant to. And so that like impact really like centered me. Um, and I was proud to be racing with, with that on. And I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Cause like Aaron said earlier, we were, had the opportunity, Jesse Williams invited us to like interview the athletes after they won races or just any athletes that we wanted to, but I wasn't, I was in the zoom call, but like, it wasn't working like after your race. And I, I, I was like, why is this not working? And I went on to the IG uh, live that Will Lear was doing. Then I saw you had the BLM sticker. Then he sent a photo. I was like, wait, I need to be in here. I need to talk to her. So I feel like everything kind of lined up that now, now we're actually talking to you on, on zoom because that, because 
for some people, I feel like I feel like for you, it's it was it was a no brainer in a sense. Like once you saw someone else do it, once you saw the influence, once you had the idea, it was like a no brainer, and you had the support. But then for other people, BLM has became the BLM or Black Lives Matter. I was just telling Aaron before in the podcast, it's become a trigger word in a sense, and I feel like a trigger words like a new word that's came up over the past three years. But now, Black Lives Matter is in that same category, and you think about ten years ago. I would have never thought Black Lives saying Black Lives Matter would be a trigger word, but uh, now we're living in this new this new age where it has become, and I think it's just interesting where things have come. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I was yeah, that, I think that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's frustrating because at its essence, it means Black Lives Matter, <laughs> and pretty, they yeah, do. pretty simple. And it is. And I think that people take it as an affront of, you know, like my life doesn't matter. Other lives don't matter. And like, that's not the point. The point is like black Americans are being targeted um, and we need to do more. And I think that it's just some people don't understand the statement or choose not to understand it. Um, And so I think like the more people speak out and the more education there is out there, um, I think I think the better. So keep it up. Yeah. And I think that you you described it best before when you talked about why why when you touched the sticker and you were like this is this is bigger than me and you started to name people's names you were like this is this is about human life you know mm-hmm. being taken being taken away you know and traumatizing people after years years and years and years that's mm-hmm. what you expressed when you when you talked about it. But for some reason, and in the world, not just running, um, Black Lives is a is a political state. Is a political is mm-hmm. political for some reason. And it shouldn't um, be. Yeah, yeah. It, and it shouldn't be. And that's that's also like to me. I just thought of this like politicizing a human life is dehumanizing people. Mm-hmm. So that that always that always just triggers me when I see it becoming politicized because you're dehumanizing people, mm-hmm. and you're saying no. What you're talking about has nothing to do with black people; it yeah. has to do with X, X, Y, and Z. And me and Joshua talk about this a lot. You know, um, mm-hmm. something that got that like like hurt my feelings or like upset me is like in the running world, like. You know, run like Gabe. Like you know, we wore the we wore the stickers. Um, if body dysmorphia, um, you know, running safety, uh, topics like that. Yes, they have their pushbacks, but we always see the running community really come together and uh, support those things. But uh, this this Black Lives Matter, we've we've seen a lot of pushback um, on on our own own page. We we put the post up of Rebecca, if you guys haven't seen, um, take a look at it, look at it. We put it up praising her and take majority of the comments, 90, 90% of the comments are very negative. Um, mm-hmm. and we're not going to delete any of those. We're not going to block anyone. Cause, um, at least for me, like, I, I think people need to see this. People need to, people, that's part of the, of the protest. That's part of what we're doing. I think people need to see like, like, you know, the ignorance that is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, go ahead. No, I was, was going to say I agree. And, you know, social media has become such an echo chamber in many ways because people only follow yeah. accounts that have similar ideas to theirs. Um, and so, like, in, in politics and the political world, um, like, people only follow folks that have the same politics as them. And so for me, mm-hmm. like, I end up following... Uh, a bunch of kind of more progressive pages and like my friends tend to be more progressive. And so then like, I think that everything is much different (laughs) sometimes in reality than what it actually is. And I think it is really important for us to, to understand like how other people think and like why other people think the way that they do, because I think that's the way that we're able to like move the needle forward and like change minds. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, the comments are a bummer, but it's also an opportunity to like have those people see these words, (laughs) see BLM, they may not otherwise and i think it's important 
And the really interesting thing uh, for me about the whole post, and I'm just going to read it off. Like we took like a piece from uh, Rebecca's Instagram post and she just said, put the BLM on my chest because it matters much more than the race last night, uh, referring to her race at Sunset Tour. And when I posted that, I feel like we've posted like, quote unquote, like controversial stuff on our page before, which I don't really feel like it was controversial. It was really just like, expressing what an athlete says or their their sign of solidarity and things like that and i on some of those things i expected there to be people like i expected there to be like a fight in the comments you can just tell that like there's going to be people that are mainly going to disagree with this and i want to ask both of you should we have been expecting negative feedback from this because i'm just thinking back to uh two weeks ago I don't know if Rebecca's not really on our, like our page like that. I don't know, but like two weeks ago, we posted when Noah Lyle was at Mo- was at Monaco mm-hmm. when yeah, he had exactly. when he had the fist with John Carlos mm-hmm. uh, doing the same thing before his two hundred meter race, and there was no really uh, negative flack for that. But then once uh, we the post with Rebecca and, and it's like, is is it the BLM that's triggering people because the same thing happened a few months ago when we had when we had our response to Nick Simmons episode on the podcast, we mentioned him like taking out the black lives matter, like square, which was just all factual, but it was people felt like we're trying to cancel Nick Simmons, which was definitely not the case. We wanted to talk to him, Mm -hmm. but like, do you guys feel like, well, I just, for a question for me, should I have been expecting negative feedback from that? Cause I was, I was surprised that somebody commented and said that your life doesn't mean your life means nothing to me. Someone yeah. commented that. I was really That's surprised wild. about that. That's wild. I mean, people hide behind the screen of social media. Um, I have seen it so often <laughs> when posting mm-hmm. very personal things about myself. And most of the time, I'm very lucky. It's very positive. But once in a while, I get someone who just is like ripping me to shreds. Um, but actually, yeah. I this is a total aside, but I posted this tweet back in March that went totally viral. And I had to have the head of Wazel Social Media log on to my account to help me deal with all of the trolls. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, people, like I said, people hide behind the screen and they say what they want. Would they say that to you in person? I don't believe so. Um, but, you know, social media can be wonderful. It can help get a message out that's very important. can give people voices who didn't have voices before. Um, but also, you know, some people come out of the woodwork as well. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of trolls out there. I mean, for me... I kind of expected to get some negative feedback. I didn't expect it. Like, I mean, the the post got likes, yeah. But I didn't expect the majority of the comments to be like saying stuff like all lives matter, your life doesn't matter, Marxism, and all all of those things. But before you did post it, Joshua, I remember I did. I remember I said something. I was like, oh, like, I was like, is this reaching? And I feel bad for saying that. But I think I just said that because I I knew of the negative feedback that would come by, but because, you know, there's always going to be negative feedback, but more so for me, like, like just seeing trending, what's trending in the news, like, and, you know, where the country country is at, is at with these things and how divided it is. That's why I expected, like, you know, if people were going to come into the comments and say things, I thought mm-hmm. it would be the things that they said already, just because yeah. of how the country's trending. And I think that this post um, is, a, is a reflection of just like where our country's at. And mm-hmm. it's just and it's just surprising, too, because, you know, the Reading Report, you guys know we're very authentic. We're very ourselves. So you could go onto that you know, our platform and, and you know what we're about, but you know, we still got these, I, it's just like, those are, I'm more so I'm like, do these guys follow us? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, my yeah. thing is like, I want it eventually, like, it's just like, bro, like, this is what you expect from us. This is who we are. This is what we're going to post. Mm-hmm. That's you know? good. Like you should be your authentic self and mm-hmm. like, you know, get in or get out to those people. But I think that's, yeah, like I said, it's a bummer, but I, I think what I've kind of found in the track and field world that I love so much, <laughs> I really do, um, is that, yeah, there, there is a lot of pushback about don't make running political. 
Like, let's not, let's keep this a safe space. I've heard that term so yeah. many times. And I'm like, no, let's make this a safe space. <laughs> I yeah. think that like, you know, people being able to express themselves and like say that their life matters is making yeah. a safe space. And I had, actually, I did um, an interesting interview the other day with a writer who's writing a piece um, about how in the ultra running community, um, they, there was this race, I don't know all the details, um, but they were trying to, they named a team Black Lives Matter. And I think that they were having a discussion in a Facebook group and people were trying to kick this team out um, because they didn't like that they had made the the team or the, the event be this big ultra race political. And I mm. think that, you know, that's a bummer. People need to open their eyes and, and like, see what's going on, <laughs> see what's yeah. going on in the country and like take a stand and, um, and at the very least, like be supportive. I think that's yeah. like an ally. Like I'm clearly, I'm not, I'm not black, you know, like I don't mm. have the experience of someone who's black in this country. Um, and yet like I can see what's going on and I can like hear the anecdotes of like people in the track and field community and like my friends who are black and I know like things need to change. <laughs> and so yeah. I hope that this can do the same. What you just said right now, right now was just, that was a gym. Like, cause what, what um inclusion and equality is about there's never a, there's never really like an allyship there's never really a mark to hit you know so it's not like oh this is a safe place this is a safe space it's like you're saying you're just always striving to make it a safer place like make create it a safer place you can never really like reach that end goal as goal the what we want is to like for people to just naturally you know, push for making places safer for everyone and allowing everyone a place to be able to speak. And mm -hmm. the more people we can get on, I was talking at my job, we we're talking about this, the more people that we can just get on the journey, because like, yeah, not, not everyone is going to be at the same place, but mm -hmm. we have to get these people on the journey. Let's all be on the journey to make it a safer, pl safer place for everyone. Because even as Black people, like, I have my blind spots in other communities as well, but like, yeah. let's just all work together to continue making it a safer and more open place for everyone, making more inclusive. Yeah, I totally agree. I have nothing more to say there other than I agree with you. I want to go back to the point where uh, Rebecca, you were talking about how like that ultra marathon group, I feel like that's really crazy. They want the title, they want to name their group Black Lives Matter or BLM and people wouldn't allow it. And that just uh, reminds me to when, when I was, when Aaron, me and Aaron were talking about the post, your post on IG and he was asking me like, is this reaching? And I sent him back and I was all like, I sent him about the, back this quote I had from, I seen from Doc, Doc Rivers, the coach for the Los Angeles Clippers, mm -hmm. just right in between when they were having their protests and everything like that. And he said, it's not the NBA's job to solve the world. It's the NBA job to be a part of the world. And I feel like that's just like such a great, like I low key want to hang that up in my, in my room or something. Cause it's such <laughs> just a, yeah. a symbol of like what I feel like all, all organizations, all media outlets, all everything should try and it should strive in an attempt and then what they, they should encompass. Like, like, like it's running, we know running is a sport. We know it's about racing. We know it's about the time, but like we can't ignore what's going on around us. And I feel like that often happens, especially with like race, like mm -hmm. back to where Aaron was talking about, like the body dysmorphia and stuff like that. Like, I feel like those are like people rally, rally around that. And there's, those are uncomfortable conversations, but like people make it comfortable, but with I feel like with race, a lot of times in the running community, we know it's an uncomfortable conversation, but like they don't want to make it comfortable. They just kind of, they back out the workout, as I would say, like talking mm -hmm. about race, it's an endurance workout for sure. So like they want, they don't want that work. They don't want that hard work. That's, that's how I kind of feel about the whole situation. But how do you just feel? I know you already talked about it a little bit, but how do you, how do you feel like running needs to be better on just being on just being more part of the world in some, some situations. Yeah. I think that running in general can as a sport <laughs> be very insular. 
Um, and I think that in some senses is okay. Um, I mean, I think about like wanting to grow track and field as a brand and wanting more fans and all that. But um, I think that, you know, I've been really happy to see so many other professional athletes speaking out, um, both mm-hmm. like black athletes and non-black athletes. And I think that's really important because these people have really large followings um, and have the ability to like help make change and help make things look different moving forward. Um, And I think that the more that, you know, like prominent people in the track and field community, like talk about like Black Lives Matter, talk about like what's going on in this country, um, the more positive change we're going to see. I mean, I'm part of this um, women run the vote relay, um, that's raising money for black voters matter. And they have like thousands and thousands of people who've signed up and it's like way blown away our expectations of like Mm. this relay and what we thought we were going to be able to do. And I've been really excited to be a captain and an ambassador and part of it. But I think that that alone shows how much growth there's been, like how much more people are aware. And so I think that what I want to say here is, you know, people are growing, people are figuring it out. The more that it's in front of their face, um, the more they're going to learn, the more that they're going to absorb, and the more that they're going to realize it's an issue and like I need to be speaking up or I need to at least you know learn how to be a really good ally. And I think that that's incredibly important. And I've, I've, I've grown. <laughs> I've grown a lot mm-hmm. myself. I mean, like I remember when there were Black Lives Matter protests like back in – 2014 when I was in school and like I I didn't go because I wasn't sure if like I would be accepted or like it'd be okay if I was there um and like I'm really you know glad now that like this has you know not glad glad's the wrong word because this is like really tough stuff but I'm I'm like yeah happy to be a part of happy to be a part of it and like speaking out and, and learning as I go and also we wanted to ask like you, I read a little bit of, I read your article uh, that you that you wrote on uh, on Ozell's uh, website as well, and you kind of okay. talked about how you grew up and everything, and how do you mm-hmm. think you you grew up as um, so called as we would say a mixed a mixed baby? <laughs> you didn't have like a like super like nailed down racial identity. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that affected the way you? you kind of view and spoke about, about race growing up? Yeah. So I grew up in a biracial family. <laughs> My dad's family is from India, spoke Hindi, um, didn't, you know, wasn't from the United States, immigrant family. And my mom's family was, she's a white Jewish New Yorker. And so like, for me, I kind of always felt like I was splitting the difference between the two, but in a way it was great because I was exposed to so many different languages and cultures and like ways that you could grow up and and be. And I think that that was really great for me because I also got to grow up like traveling the world and meeting different kinds of people. And I think that the way that my parents kind of dealt with religion in our household was like presenting both. (laughs) My dad came from like a Hindu background and my mom came from a Jewish background. Um, And so I think that in a way we, you know, like I learned a sense of tolerance, both my sister and I, that was so valuable um, for me moving forward because I'm like, I was happy to have a religion conversation with anyone and happy to hear their beliefs about anything. Similarly to like, I was, you know, like happy to be around a person of any kind of background. And I think that that was, yeah, so valuable and both from, you know, my exposure, but also from my parents' attitude. Yeah. Were there any like any challenges that you, that came with that you struggled with or was it more so just kind of like helpful in shaping you who you are? Yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> I mean, kids will find anything to make fun of you for. I mean, I got asked all the time. I think I put this in the blog if I was a daughter feather Indian, um, you know, got made fun of. People would speak to me in an Indian accent. Um, when I was in high school and college, people would mistake me as, as Mexican and would, you know, like make all sorts of jokes um, about that as well. And so it's just like, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> but also I've never been like targeted on the street or like my life has never felt in danger um, because of what it looked like. So I recognize that like, yes, there are things that I've faced, but also like not nearly to the extent um, of like what what we're talking about, like black Americans are experiencing. So I feel, I don't know. I feel like in a way I can, I can relate on some level. Um, maybe that helps me. But I think that ultimately, yeah, the way I grew up just like, was really great for me in, in learning tolerance and um, learning how to be empathetic. 
what I'm kind of uh, curious about Rebecca is like being someone that's mixed and not being someone that's a, like a person of color. And you already talked about just like when back in 2014, like the protests, you weren't too sure if like you'd be like accepted uh, when you went to like a Black Lives Matter protest. When you did mm-hmm. like the when you did like your stand of like solidarity with the sticker, I, it's like a two part question. Did you feel that like, well, just in general, just in general, like. Do you feel that others, people, people that who are not of color, do you feel like they're like hesitant to to like to have faith in Black Lives Matter or believe in Black Lives Matter because they're not people of color? And like how and just how does how does what does BLM like mean to you? Mm-hmm. I would want to say as well. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more that they just don't understand it. Like they they can't. Not that I can, but like many people can't put themselves in the shoes of people who are being targeted. <clears throat> and so I think that that makes it difficult to understand the Black experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've tried to put in the work to like educate myself and like talk to friends and read and like follow like other Black athletes and like prominent Black speakers. And like, I feel like I'm beginning to understand that I'll never be able to fully put myself in, in their shoes, like what the experience is like. And I think you know, for someone maybe who hasn't done that reading or doesn't have, you know, friends that have talked to them about their experiences, you just, you don't know. And so it's hard to, hard to relate to. Um, what does Black Lives Matter mean to me? I mean, it, for me, it's kind of a, a huge kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's part of a big movement of equality. And like, you know, my dad, I've talked about this before, but like my dad moved to the U.S. and thought it was this like great melting pot of equality and like the American dream and like everyone has this opportunity and like he wanted to make the best of it. And like in reality, we have a lot of work to do as a country. And like, I recognize that. And so to me, it means like, like, let's call it out. We have work to do. And let's like, like, let's do this work um, and let's do this work together and bring everyone together to do it. And like part and part of your article too in uh, mixed and passing, you guys should all go read it. I'll put it down in the description as well in this podcast on wazel.com. But like you were talking about just on just um sharing your story just at first, you're like hesitant of like it couldn't you were you're you're hesitant that people would like deter you. Like, could you like put us your, yourself in uh, your shoes? Cause we had like this similar conversation on like sort of like allyship with Molly Huddle, but she didn't really we didn't ask the question of her like putting on her shoes and like why it would feel to be hesitant because when I think Black Lives Matter, it's it was it was never hesitant to me, at least. I guess it may be the some some black black individuals. But yeah. like for me, it was never hesitant. So just like how was how was that process for anyone like that? Yeah. And if yeah. That makes sense. I think I was never hesitant to believe the meaning in Black Lives Matter. I was hesitant to be a like vocal about it. And the reason being, I didn't want to step on the toes of like my black friends and other like black people I knew who were stepping up and raising their voices and having a platform for their voices. And so I didn't want to be the person taking away from the platform that like they have worked so hard to now have. Um, so yeah, it was never a matter of like belief in the movement. It was more like a I don't know where my place is. I don't know how to best support. Mm-hmm. Like, where am I needed? Does that make sense? Yeah, and you didn't, and you didn't want to like seem like you were you were pandering or or anything like that. And mm-hmm. it all and it all comes down to like you know intent. You want everyone to be able to see like your your real intent and that you're really with it. But I do I do always think it's important for other people because other people that um like more more white people or people just not of color to see people like them out there supporting too because they're like it helps them to realize like hey i i do have a Mm -hmm. have a part in this i have a i have i have a place in this as well and i i can understand i can somewhat understand like how they they could be scared just because of the world we we live in but it's Mm -hmm. all about it's all about it's all about intent and if your intentions are are good and and well at the end of the Mm -hmm. day i would say to anybody just don't don't care what anyone anyone thinks and you know attentions go a long way like it'll show it'll show in the in the long run it's gonna show and people Mm -hmm. are gonna know if you're really about it 
But I also yeah. want to talk to you because, yeah, we're talking to you a lot about, you know, what shaped you um, and how you became who you who you are. And when you mentioned what Black Lives Matter means to you, you talked about how it meant like, you know, it's time for us to do some work. It's like, let's get better. And, mm-hmm. you know, that led, leads me into like your job now. You got yeah. a new job as a campaign manager. How did uh-huh. you how did you make it there? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, so I come from a family of public servants. Um, my a lot of my dad's family actually he moved to Switzerland when he was like 11 years old because my grandmother was in the World Health Organization. Um, my aunt worked at the United Nations. My uncle worked there. I mean, it's like a family history of like you know thinking about the world around them. And I think that you know when I was in college, I always thought I was going to work kind of international policy as well. And then when I decided I wanted to keep running, I, you know, like ended up moving to Bend, Oregon. And like, there isn't a whole lot of federal policy or like international policy going on there. But like, as we've seen from the last several months, um, like local government and local policy is really important. And that's been really drilled into me over the last couple of years and how impactful it is on your everyday life. And so... Yeah, I worked for um, the now Mayor Ben. I worked on her campaign um, back two years ago, and she ended up winning. And I've been kind of working with her on various projects for the last um, almost two years. And then when I had the opportunity to help, um, you know, become a campaign manager for this like really awesome progressive candidate, I was like, yes, <laughs> I want to do it because I know like how much this person will be able to do like when he is on city council and like how much of an impact he can make. Um, and he has like made his career out of like serving indigenous Oregonians. And I think that like, he will bring that to the table with him. And I think that, yeah, he'll be a, a really great public servant. And I think that hopefully the last several months, as I said, has become like an impetus for people to pay more attention to local politics <laughs> and like, vote for good city councilors and a good mayor and a good police chief because oftentimes i mean we just saw it a couple months ago like your you know your local law enforcement and like all of your local laws are coming from from those people then as you're a part of uh women run the vote too this is actually going to be my first time voting in the general election because i'm uh, 20 years old and i, I wasn't i wasn't registered i wasn't registered uh shame on me two years ago for the midterm my fault. That was, that, was, that was me. That was on me. That was on me. But just could you like just describe as you're someone like you're in the you're in the groundworks, you're in the roots of it. Just how important is voting just in general, not just for this election, but for uh, years to go and especially local, as you just as you just described. Yeah, I mean, voting is your civic duty. I, I get really frustrated. I mean, understandably, but I get really frustrated when people say, oh, you know, like, I'm not going to vote in this election because I know California is Democratic, Oregon's Democratic, and like that they're going to get the, you know, Democratic vote here anyway. So why does it matter? Okay, fine. Maybe you don't feel like your vote matters in the presidential election. I really don't hope, I really hope you don't feel that way. <laughs> but even mm-hmm. if you do, take a look at all of the other things you're voting for. Like you're probably voting on propositions, on things that are going to affect your state or your town. You're voting on a mayor, you're voting on city councilors, you're voting on a county commissioner. Like all these people will affect your life in so many ways that you don't even realize. Um, So like take a moment to like, when you get a voter pamphlet statement, (laughs) take a moment to read that. Take a moment to like spend half an hour or less even to just look up your local candidates. And just so when when you show up to vote, you know what the names mean (laughs) you know who people are particularly local because oftentimes i mean i know a lot of people who just will vote down the ticket like i'm a democrat so i'm just gonna vote all the d's well oftentimes these other like more local roles are nonpartisan, so you really have to know (laughs) who the Mm -hmm. people are um so yeah i mean it's really important to register to vote and really important to to get to know all the candidates that you're going to be voting for yeah and like definitely like you're saying like Locally, I was just thinking, like, you could probably find someone in your area that knows that person that's running. Or, shoot, you might even be able to find them on social media, Facebook, stalk them. And, you can call you know, them. You yeah, can send them an email. You can Facebook message him. You could give him a call on his cell phone and he'll answer. Um, and that's, like, the way a lot of local candidates are. It's like they are all about the ground game, like, want to talk to people. And like, particularly right now, it's so hard with COVID. Like normally you'd canvas and you go knock on doors and like 
tell people about yourself and you have volunteers do it too, but we're really limited. <laughs> so social media and calling are kind of the, the ways to go right now. I think we got to leave a link, a link at the bottom of this description, Joshua, to get people to register to vote. I think so too. That would be awesome. <laughs> Need to do it. One more thing I wanted to talk about. You said you talked earlier that you just got this job too back in May, and mm-hmm. you kind of turned into a, like a blue collar runner. I would say now working. You t- described having like forty hour weeks. How has that just been for you? Like being on the professional stage, you're still going out there, you're running good times and everything. How has that been a new challenge in your life to like work through having to work all these long days and then having to come out and do. For 400 repeats at 56. I don't know. Quite, I don't <laughs> I know, know what your workout's like. Or 400 repeats at 56. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're, that's a good question. I uh, kind of saw the silver lining what was going on, COVID and the races becoming canceled, um, as an opportunity to get to jump on uh, this like local campaign and like work in local politics and kind of a bigger role than I was previously. And I was excited about it. Like I had to find a new motivation and I kind of had always joked with myself that, you know, like if I wasn't running in 2020, I'd probably be working on an election. And like, that's exactly what happened. Um, and I'm, you know, really proud to, to have done it. I mean, I think that throughout college and like in the last few years, I've always had a job. Um, I've always been working on top of the running, but like this is definitely the most substantial job. Um, there have definitely been days <laughs> which I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> this is way too much on my plate. Um, but for yeah. the most part, I just try to like get ahead. I mean, working with um, my candidate, he's he's so great and really understanding of the athletics. So like when I'm at practice, I put it on my calendar and like he doesn't call me, doesn't bug me. And so that's been been really great. And I just have to re- be really on top of scheduling everything. Um, so for the most part, for the most part, it's been okay. Other than like several days or maybe I'll admit like weeks, <laughs> which are a little hard. Um, but yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm really grateful now. I'm done competing in track and field for at least until December, the earliest. Um, so now I just have time to focus on the campaign for the next couple of months and hopefully get him to, to win a seat. Nice. And yeah, you definitely made it work. You know, you PR'd, PR'd in the, PR'd in the eight, two flat, and then you just killed that sunset. You almost PR'd in the 15 as well. So it definitely worked out for you, but I think we're heading into the closeout questions, Joshua. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Before we get to the, uh, Close out. Well, we we're going to close out questions. Just really, just thank you for coming on. Definitely short notice. We just hit her up today, so yeah, it, I know the it time was, works. It was great. <laughs> yeah. It was a short turnaround. We really do appreciate it. But before we get out of here, uh, we know you're 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 a Stanford nerd and everything like mm-hmm. that. What are some books, or what do we need to be watching right now, or just what, what are some books that you recommend that people should be reading, or what are you reading right now? Ooh, I can almost like take it out of my bag when I just started reading. But um, one of the more recent books I read that I really, really loved was um, Educated. Um, It's just a really interesting story of a woman who grows up with no means and then ends up getting a PhD. Um, But also I recently read um, So You Want to Talk About Race, which was like really illuminating for me. Um, And I started, uh, I'm actually doing a book club with a group of friends from home um, to we read uh, White Fragility, which I like. I'm just starting. I hear it's very dense, but like I, I like dense. <laughs> You're right. I'm a terrible nerd, so I'm I'm excited about it. So I wanted to ask, um, what what quarantine snacks have you been stuck on throughout this whole time? <laughs> Several things. This one's easy. Um, so for a while, I kind of stopped right before I started racing more. But I'm eating like a jar of Nutella every week. I would just like put it in everything. (laughs) Bagel, toast, spoonfuls of it. Like if I could put it in a drink, I would. Um, (laughs) Nutella. Um, And then also more recently, I've been on a lot of road trips. So drove down from from Bend to LA, which is 13 hours. And Mm -hmm. we've had two snacks of choice. One is the Juanitas. If you've not had those, they're fantastic. Um, We got the the chili flavor of them. They're just really good tortilla chips. And then uh, Parmesan goldfish. Could eat those all day. Is that the white ones? You got to have some water with that. Yeah, yeah. Any one of one of these guys, no one can hear that. That's a big bottle of water. 
<laughs> and then before we get to the last two questions, well, as we get to the last two questions, first, I just want to ask, we know you're in public policy, being a campaign manager now, what do you want to do when uh, running's all said and done? Are we looking at, are we talking to the next president of the United States? I don't know. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> That's go. a million dollar question. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that part of me feels really excited to work in, in more federal policy, like work in, in Washington, D.C. or something like that. Um, but also like I've been really enjoying kind of following a path of like seeing what falls on my plate and gotten to work with some really amazing people. I've also thought about going to law school. Don't know for certain <laughs> I'm going to do that, but I don't know, maybe DC, maybe law school. I don't know, maybe something in California. I haven't decided yet. Well, you got, you got the running report vote. You got the running report vote. <laughs> Thanks guys. Don't. We'll one more question before you, we get you out of here. Uh, just before running's all said and done, like, what do you want to be? What do you want to leave? What mark do you want to leave on the sport? Sorry, I stumbled on that. But what mark do you want to leave on the sport of running when you hang up those spikes and everything like that? We know you still got a long way to go in your career, but what, what are you trying to establish? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just doing my best to be my authentic self and, like, talk about the things that I care about and talk about, like, you know, like who I am. <laughs> and so I think like, you know, I've shared about my mental health. I've shared about how, you know, like BLM, I've shared about my job. And I think that running can sometimes, and, and professional runners can sometimes seem so one dimensional, like everything yeah. about like running fast and like, yeah, of course I want to run fast. Like, of course I want to put myself in a position to make the Olympic team, but also like, here are the other things I care about. Like I work in public policy, like here's where I stand on like various issues. And I think that that is meaningful because then you get to know the athlete as a whole. And so, yeah, I guess that's, that's my answer. I'm <laughs> just trying to be my authentic self and, and let people know maybe part two to this is like, let people know there, there are different ways to, to find balance and be like a track and like a high level track and field athlete. Um, and that looks different for everyone. But for me, it's like working and doing things I love and working in local politics and trying to get good people elected and, good policy made i love that answer that's that's 100 percent what running report is about um and two black runners is definitely we always want to have someone on to share more than a pr that's like our little model more than a pr so super happy we got to talk to you today yeah, yeah thank, thank you so much thank you so much rebecca we really do appreciate it you're part of running report family now any other time, if someone messing with you, anything like that, call call us up. Call us up. We'll come get them. We'll come get them. We got your back for sure, for sure. And just thank you, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Two Black Runners. And we see you next time. Well, you guys, something one more thing to say or? No, that's it. Just thanks for having me on. Uh, you guys rock, and I'm excited to now be a running report follower. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys next week on Two Black Tuesday. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be we'll be on Tuesday back again. We will. We will. <laughs>